you should watch that that documentary, some, some kind of monster. So it's about the album Saint Anger, uh-huh. the making of it, and uh, uh, Hetfield's going through. He decides to go to rehab at the time, but one of the one of the big inciting moments is he's. I think he's drinking beer in the studio, and uh, or I, I don't remember exactly, but it's something like this. And yeah. they're playing a song, and Lars is calling his riffs stock. S-T-O-C-K. <laughs> right. And and Hetfield's getting all like flustered and oh. angry. Cause he's like, and it probably was stock. Oh, it probably yeah. was just like every other riff that anybody in their living room's making up. Oh, you and, know it. Um, but Lars had and, stock drums. <laughs> right. <laughs> but yeah, and he just kept saying that. I th- I'm sorry, but I think your riffs are st- <laughs> the riff is stock. It's stock. And Hetfield's like, what do you mean it's stock? <laughs> And they're just getting angry, and he, uh, he understood he, the he, reference, right? He had to. Oh, he, yeah. he 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 did, but he was trying to defend. His, right. You know, he was getting defensive about his riffs, and then he ends up storming out of the studio. I think slamming the door, oh, cool. and I don't think they saw him for a few months. I think he went to rehab. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I can see that happen. Everyone can start with the riff, but Hetfield always delivered on the melody, which that's the reason why people listen to Metallica, not for the riffs. They they, they come for the melody; they might stay for the riffs. Welcome to the Echo Spire Song Destruct podcast, where we reverse engineer the most influential songs in history. This is a tightly formatted show where we dive into the mechanics of songwriting and production, deconstructing chord structure, song architecture, production design, and arrangements. We rate and review the effectiveness of these song elements and evaluate what we can learn from them so that we can become better songwriters and designers. Today's episode is simply Metallica. It's not Metallica versus anything else other than themselves. So on the last episode, we did Holler Dozier Holland of the uh, famous Motown songwriting group. And this time around, I said, you know, Metallica, let's call them out by their names, Hetfield, Lars, Hammett. And as far as I'm concerned, Newstead is kind of the the core of Metallica. Uh, we all know that Burton might have been the the original bassist. And we know that Dave Mustaine was in the uh, on the first album, Ride the Lightning. Kill them all. Oh, yeah, yeah. Kill them all. Correct. Uh, <laughs> 88 to about 96, I think there and abouts, Jason Newstead was certainly right there in the middle. I'm not sure when he exited the group, and I kind of don't care because after 1996, I stopped listening. It's showcased in the documentary, uh, Some Kind of Monster, and they hire the new guy from that was like Ozzy's bass player and whatever else he did. I'm split on exactly what to call the theme here. It could be six and one jumps. Because they use a lot of, say, if you're in the key of G, they're moving up the C sharp. That's a six jump. And they also do a lot of one jumps. Again, if you're in the key of G, you're moving up to G sharp or moving from G sharp to A. Anytime you're moving up or down one fret, that's a one jump. Anytime you're moving up or down six frets, that's a six jump. In any case, I believe that that's going to be the theme of this episode because Metallica does a lot of that. In fact, I think they do it on probably every single song. The second possibility for a theme here, even though they're first and foremost classified as being heavy metal, I do believe they're they're actually opera music. <laughs> it's just heavy opera music. And that's a secondary theme, but uh, I will discuss that in just a minute. Welcome to the show, Ryan. How's it going? Hey, hey. Good. 
Now, what do you think about Metallica? You didn't. You didn't want to do versus versus Megadeth. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I mentioned Dave Mustaine. That's about all I have to say about Megadeth. I let. I literally only know one of their albums. Anyway, um, yeah. Symphony of Destruction. It was a good song. Yeah, that album, Countdown to Extinction, I think, or yeah. something like that. How, how much influence do you think Metallica has over you? Because I have my own guesses as to how much it influenced you, and I think it's more than you uh, would accept. There's like those three pillars there that you can't avoid, um, <laughs> which if you're into this stuff, Guns N' Roses, Metallica, and Nirvana, because yep. they all were around the same time. Well, I mean, Metallica was around. 91. All hard rock music. So it had that, you know, edge to it that you want to feel when you're going through puberty. Power chords, power chords, power chords in different used in different ways, and all three were melodic in their own way. So those three you can't avoid if you if you're from this era. Yeah, and uh, a lot of your songs, uh, specifically like "Here Comes That Pain Again," one I can't quite explain. I think I might go insane. <laughs> yeah, the fans out there don't want to hear about that. Wes. You can tell that Ryan was heavily influenced by Metallica. Pain black almost every single song sounds exactly the like with a couple of exceptions on metallica's lyric front let's talk about real quick at a high level what i learned going through metallica's repertoire it's heavily dominated by drums from lars which i don't think he's a particularly good drummer but i think what he does very much works just like ringo worked perfectly for the lennon mccartney duo lars works perfectly for james hetfield and the reason being is because Hetfield uses a lot of complicated palm muting rhythms. Oftentimes, you can take it for granted because he has good melodies. So when you're listening to his melodies, you're really not focusing on the guitar. But if you listen for it, it's complicated rhythms. In fact, I don't even know how he plays that live. His palm muting is not straightforward 16th notes. And yet he does it while singing a melody that has nothing to do with his guitar rhythm. Yeah. That's the first thing that dominates it the second is kirk hammett's guitar solos they're all over the place until 1996 when they go into the grunge and start wearing lipstick and eyeliner in their music videos was that a big mistake <laughs> you know they had to do it it got them another 20 years of career because no other heavy metal band made it into the mainstream i think metallica was pretty much it you had stuff like Linkin Park, where they're kind of crossover between metal and rap. They were still more alternative. Megadeth certainly didn't cross over. You, you're, you're probably right that it, it did give them a certain type of career. for it, it lengthened their career. But the Black Album is already them trying to be commercial for that period of time. You know, they cut out the eight, ten-minute songs and went for whatever, three or four, mm -hmm. four-minute, five-minute songs. They went from opera to rock. In the 80s, they were more opera. I'm not really into metal, but I li always liked Metallica and because uh, they had good songs. Mm -hmm. They might have lost me. I, I couldn't barely tell you anything since the Black Album. Well, if you recall, Until It Sleeps comes out in 1996, which is their probably, yeah, it's their highest charting single. It went number 10. So, it, you know, it pays to sell out in many respects. The problem with Until It Sleeps, just like what the Black Album did to their the first leg of their career, the Black Album made them shorter. Until It Sleeps just absolutely murdered the Metallica formula. There was really no more guitar solos. They made them much more simple. And that's sort of what it takes. Sounds like a cliche, but you sort of have to dumb it down to make it radio friendly. They did it twice. They did it with the Black Album, and then they did it with the Loaded Album. What I'm going to do is I'm going to go over six songs. I'm going to go over one which came out in 1989. Inner Sandman came out in 1991. 
Unforgiven came out in 1991. Nothing Else Matters was released in 1992. Wherever I May Roam was released in 1992. Sad But True was released in 1992. Let me just talk real quick about the overviews of these songs before I go into the song deconstruction. Or actually, let's talk about Metallica first. So they formed in 1981 in Los Angeles, which I'd always thought that they were a San Francisco band. And they they did relocate to San Francisco shortly afterward. But they were formed in L.A., which makes sense because I never could get my mind around this heavy metal band forming in the land of milk and honey, San Francisco. But it makes sense. They just moved up there afterward for whatever reason. They liked the geography. They released 10 studio albums, 37 singles, only which of 16 were in the top 100, and only one hit the top 10 until it sleeps. Kill Em All came out in 1983. It went gold at first, went three times platinum after it the bigger albums like Injustice for All Metallica came out. Then people started going back and buying it, and it went three times platinum. Ride the Lightning, 1984, went six times platinum, original, only gold. Master of Puppets went six times platinum, originally only gold. Injustice for All went eight times platinum. Originally, it actually went platinum on Halloween in 1988. And then when Metallica, the Black Album, was released in 1991, they also released it on Halloween, and that went three times platinum the first day and eventually went 16 times platinum loaded came out in 1996 five years after that it went five times platinum reloaded 1997 went three times platinum garage their cover album went five times platinum and i like that album actually uh saint anger in 03 went two times platinum death magnet in 08 went two times platinum and hardwired in 2016 went platinum so they're still riding the lightning so to speak let's talk about the first song one, which is really the crux of their career. Everything that came before one was opera. Everything that came after was rock. One is really both of those ends of the spectrum. It's a two-part song. So you got the first part, which is a standard song, and then it gets into the heavy metal breakdown. Darkness and prison and me. That's what I see. La, 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 la. Okay. <laughs> so it went number 35 on the U.S. billboards. We're not talking the mainstream rock chart. We're talking U.S. Billboard mainstream music. It went number 35. And one is a pretty militant song to make it anywhere onto the Billboard chart. So this was a total breakout for Metallica. Up until this point, they didn't have hits anywhere except for maybe foreign countries. In fact, it only went number 46 on the main rock chart. So it went higher on the mainstream pop music chart. Oddly. To me, it, nothing mattered. Uh, nothing else matters, right? Nothing else matters except MTV. I saw the one video on MTV. Life changing. It was just like, what is this? I mean, uh, I'm not even going to say I liked it at first. I was too young to, to understand it, but uh, it was the first impression I ever had of scraggly oh, yeah. metal guys and beards that wasn't a typical music video. Yeah. And it was, uh, you know, it was in between other videos like uh, Sweet Child of Mine and uh, New Kids on the Block. Yeah. It'd be like Paula Abdul and then one. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I don't know if I liked it or not, but I was very impressed by it. Yeah. And not so much because of the band, but because of the concept. Look, I'm seven years old, but I could understand that what they were attempting to cover which was this war concept of a guy going out to war, losing his limbs, his eyes, his ears, losing everything and becoming basically a uh, invalid on life support. That was just like the scariest idea I could ever imagine. Right. I was probably more scared by it than liking it, though. 
It's like that first time I saw Terminator. (laughs) Now, having said that, as I mentioned in previous episodes, Metallica was my favorite band growing up and uh, up until probably even 12 years old before I became, you know, an alternative music kid. But Metallica was it. I learned all of their songs. I learned to play guitar because of Metallica and I learned their solos. I was actually a very good soloist for Metallica. I couldn't play like Eric Clapton because I think that that takes a little bit more skill. But Metallica's, you know, on the solo front tends to be just kind of fast pull-offs and hammer-ons. And if you can move your fingers kind of fast, you can pull it off. It doesn't take too much thinking. I'm sure Kirk Hammett will appreciate that. (laughs) Kirk, if you are listening, uh, I didn't mean it. So here's what I noticed. This is sort of like the Hey Jude at the Beatles. This is that moment where everything they've learned is kind of piling into one single song. And I compare it to Hey Jude because Hey Jude has the famous second part to the song that outro is half of the song and with one the outro is half of the song so here's what's going on in one the, the only the only reason I don't, I don't know if that's true is do you remember the song fade to black yeah it's on their second album yeah they seem to have gotten to that point of creativity pretty quickly if that's yeah. their second album so i'm not disputing that they didn't have talent from the first album i'm just saying that all of their bag of tricks came with mm-hmm. them to one culmination right the culmination because if you go back and listen to ride the lightning yes it's a it's a big song with you know two parts and a big outro but it's not particularly clever not in its production choices or in its um architecture listen to some of the architecture that they're using in one it's got uneven bars all over the place so first of all it's a three four waltz for the verse it's a four four chorus which is why when it turns on in the chorus, now the world is gone, I'm just one, it starts mm-hmm. to move into 4-4. Four, four. But in the verse, it's, I can't remember anything, 3-4, So it's got these uneven bars. It's got lots of 2-4 bars that make it, you know, instead of a 4-4 four, four measure, it's a 5-4 measure. And again, Metallica is using every trick in the book to make their music sound sharp which is the reason why they also rely on the one and six jumps. So in the key of uh, G, which all their music pretty much is, even though they don't really stay on G, they tend to stay on E, the power chord E. But the power chord E is really an E minor, but they never play an E minor unless it's for something like Nothing Else Matters or um, Unforgiven. Most of the time, they're just staying in this ambiguous power chord range. So it kind of makes it difficult to transcribe their music without figuring out the notes that he's singing or just if you have a good ear you can tell if it's a major or a minor but it still makes it very ambiguous to use power chords all all over the place which all metal does but metallica does it the best which is the reason why we're reviewing metallica and not megadeth so they use double time in the song you know darkness imprisoning me that's just lars going into that uh, 16th note uh, uh bass drum pedal thing but they're playing with the time so they're going from half time to double time or cut time they're using cousins if you're in the key of g you're using a b flat or you're using an e flat they do a lot of contrasting here and that to me is what make what sets a metallica apart from any of their metal counterparts they do a lot of contrasting if you think about the song one they're not afraid to use a guitar without hardly any distortion on it the guitar solo is very light and fluffy in fact it uses a chord progression d g f e minor whereas the rest of the song is on b minor d and g so the the reason why i mentioned that for them on the guitar solo to use a d g f e minor sequence is similar to aerosmith 
they're more versatile than to just stay in the pocket. They know how to get outside the pocket and to throw in that F, which in the key of G is kind of difficult and they don't do it very much. The only time they'll ever use an F is when they're also using a B flat because of the one and the six jump. Because anytime you go from an E to an F, it sounds sharp. Anytime you go from an E to a B flat, it sounds sharp. So they do that a lot, but you'll never see them use a D, G, F, E minor sequence because that's a soft sequence. Yeah, I hear you. The point is, is that one is one of their only songs that actually does it, which is the reason why I'm saying that one is the pinnacle for many different reasons. Also because of the lyrical content. I can't remember anything. Can't tell if this is true or a dream. Deep down inside, I feel to scream. This terrible silence stops me. Now that the war is through with me, I'm waking up. I cannot see that there's nothing much left of me. Nothing is real but pain now. Hold my breath as I wish for death. Oh, please, God, wake me. Well, that's sort of, isn't that sort of the crux of of songwriting in a way is having a good idea. I think the problem with a band like this is they run out of these good ideas. You know, <laughs> they, as if they still had these. Are you sure? I mean, even, even enter Sandman is a, that's a decent idea for a song. Yeah. Uh, I think that was about crib death, but even just the, just the fact of like, you know, it's scary to go to sleep as a kid, all that Sandman's imagery. Sure. But once you run out of these ideas and I, I'm, I'm going to rip on them without even really knowing what I'm talking about, but <laughs> If there's a song called Death Magnetic, that just doesn't seem like, <laughs> or whatever that is based right. on. I don't know. It could be a great idea, but. Well, they become, and that's the thing. Metallica's great at theme. Now, let's quickly zoom out of the music genre and just talk about Metallica as a product. And I think a lot of artists are afraid to look at their stuff as product, but guess what? If you want to sell it, you have to think of it as a product. And selling a product is all about nicheification. Like you're appealing not to everybody. You might eventually get to appealing to everybody, but you start with appealing to a niche. And what Metallica appealed to, that theme, was sharp, darkness, and high contrast in general. And they delivered on it for about eight years before they really took off with their crossover Black Album. They had mastered it by that point, and I'd say by the time Loaded came out, they had mastered it even further to where they were able to reduce it into pop music even though it was still dark it was still dark pop music is there any evidence that you came across that they how conscious they were of of trying to make the black album really commercial so if you watch the documentary from 1991 where they're making the black album you can tell that they sense that they're on the verge because they went two times platinum at this point with injustice for all so Mm -hmm. they knew that the market was cresting for them that they were going to have an opportunity. So they went out and hired Bob Rock. Bob Rock, yeah. And his job was to make it sensible for pop. Having said that, the structure of the songs was still not pop. With Loaded, they they took out the guitar solos and they made it extremely simplified. But on the Black Album, these are still operatic songs, but Bob Rock did what he could to ensure the highest levels of crossover ability but yeah they were they were shooting to make a lot of money they just didn't know how much they would make so the bob rock decision was was the decision yeah i mean that was the thing that yeah it wasn't so much hey we're going to sell out it was more um guns and roses was peaking too so at this point the market the pop music market was embracing hard heavy rock and roll songs so they really didn't have to sell out they just had to give the best of what they could do in terms of 
melodies and music videos and cross marketing with the Terminator. They did cross market with Terminator, right? No, uh, I think you're thinking of Guns N' Roses. Roses. Oh, yeah. I always associate Inner Sandman with the truck as being like Terminator. But uh, I, I that's uh, you could be mine, <laughs> right? Yeah, and of course they tour together, Metallica and Guns N' Roses. So it it all blends yeah. together. So we talked about one. I gave you some of the chords. I mean, it's just basically the verses: B minor to G, B minor to G, B minor to D to G. Chorus is G, da 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 da, F sharp minor A. So kind of interesting because when you look at any Metallica song, it's never going to be chords. It's always riffs. They use power chord riffs. So even though I just distilled it to G, 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 F sharp minor, A, it, that's really not what it is. But if you were playing it on an acoustic guitar, that's what you would play. You should watch that that documentary, Some Kind of Monster. So it's about the album St. Anger, uh-huh. the making of it. And uh, uh, Hetfield's going through. He decides to go to rehab at the time. But one of the one of the big inciting moments is he's. I think he's drinking beer in the studio, and uh, or I, I don't remember exactly, but it's something like this. And yeah. they're playing a song, and Lars is calling his riffs "stock," S T O C K, and and Hetfield's getting all like flustered and oh. angry because he's like, and it probably was stock. Oh, it probably yeah. was just like every other riff that anybody in their living room is making up oh you and, know it um, but lars had and, stock drums <laughs> right <laughs> but yeah I and mean, he just kept saying that I th- i'm sorry but i think your riffs are st- <laughs> the riff is stock it's stock and hetfield's like what do you mean it's stock and they're just getting angry and he, uh, he understood he, the he, reference right he had to have, oh he, yeah. he he did but he was trying to defend his, right. you know he was getting defensive about his riffs and then he ends up storming out of the studio i think slamming the door oh, and i don't think they saw him for a few months i think he went to rehab yeah yeah i can see that happen <laughs> but that's their process you see that it's it's all about the riffs oh it's all absolutely about the riffs. And, and you know everyone can start with the riff but hetfield always delivered on the melody which that's the reason why people listen to metallica not for the riffs they they, right. they come for the melody. They might stay for the riffs. So Enter Sandman comes out 1991. This went number 16, uh, which was their highest charting single from this Black album. Enter Sandman. I think what they were able to pull off here is they stopped taking themselves so seriously. Enter Sandman's kind of a tongue-in-cheek song. It, uh, exit light, enter night, take my hand. We're off to never, never land. Something's wrong. Shut the light. Heavy thoughts tonight, and they aren't of Snow White. So. At this point, James Hatfield's having fun with it. And I think that crossed over. Verse is in E minor, and then it hits G every now and again, just kind of like Strange Man, your song. The pre-chorus is F sharp minor to B minor, and the chorus is F sharp minor to B major. So they use a lot of this minor-major mixing up. Oftentimes, they'll turn an E minor into an E as they come around on the second time. Again, it's easy for them to do because... It's always power chord music. So power chords can lend themselves sort of to the major or minor. So you just notice sometimes when they hit a certain chord, you're like, that just sounds a little bit sharper. What happened was they hit they hit it as a minor the first time. After they circled around, they hit the major the second time, either whether it's in the guitar solo or whether it's in what he's singing or some other facet that would lead you to believe it would turn into a major. For the chorus of Inner Sandman, exit light, F sharp minor to B, in tonight, E. 
So fairly simple stuff here. Unforgiven, 1991, went number 35. This is one of their only songs that is in a key other than G, and it's in the key of C. The only other one that I found that was in the key of C was uh, Fade to Black, which has the same chords as Unforgiven, which is A minor, E minor, D, A minor. The chorus is A minor, C, G, E minor. Those are actually the chords to Ride the Lightning, A minor, C, G, E minor. It's got the pre-chorus, which is C, G, A minor. Never cared for what they do. Oh, I'm, I'm singing Nothing Else Matters. Uh, Unforgiven. <laughs> they, they, they got the Aerosmith problem going on where yeah. the songs tend to sound alike. Uh, new blood joins this earth. Quickly he subdued. Through constant pain, disgrace, the young boy learns their rules. With time, the trial, the child draws in. This whipping boy done wrong, deprived of all his thoughts, the young man struggles on and on. He's known a vow unto his own that never from this day his will they'll take away. What I've felt, what I've known, never shine through, and what I've shown, never be, never see, won't see what might have been. So I dubbed the unforgiven oh i always thought the lyric was and i'm dubbed the unforgiven Uh, the whole point here is the narrator of this story is self-aware he knows that he's been born into shackles he knows that they're trying to take his will away but he'll never let them he's got this oppression on his shoulders and he's saying i'm essentially unforgiven not by myself but by this world this world will never allow me to live in freedom Okay, had that wrong my whole life. So uh, nothing else matters. Went number 34. Chords are E minor, D, C, a very simple kind of six, five, four. Then, of course, it hits the G and the B seventh for the turnaround to end the whole verse phrase. Pre-chorus, which is C, A, D. And that's pretty much it. The things I'll say about nothing else matters is it uses a lot of classical guitar at the intro. It's got a five-bar chorus with a two-four bar for the fifth measure. And nothing else matters. That's a two-four bar catchphrase verse refrain. It's great that uh, someone that's never played a guitar in their life can pick one off the shelf and play the first opening notes. Which, to... which I just so happen to do because <laughs> I had never played a guitar when I started learning Nothing Else Matters. Right. And you just play the sixth, third, second, first string, and you've played the beginning of Nothing Else Matters. It sounds just like the record, too. <laughs> Because they, oh, yeah. they have no real effect on it. <laughs> right. So, uh, yeah, that was, uh, th- that's taking me back to 1991, where I'm like, what? <laughs> I could play guitar. So, the, the other cool thing about Nothing Else Matters is it came out the same year as November Rain. And November Rain, we discussed, had two big guitar solos in it. Nothing Else Matters also has two big guitar solos. And as far as I'm concerned, it's the best heavy metal guitar solo. And I don't say it lightly because I've listened to many, but if you actually evaluate Nothing Else Matters, the second guitar solo, not the first one. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm totally off here. Again, I'm mixing this up. It's Unforgiven. Unforgiven's guitar solo is remarkable. And they capture Kirk Hammett playing it in the studio, making it up on the spot in the making of. And Bob Rock is just bullying him, saying, you can do better. You could do so much better. What's going on with you, Kirk? I used to think a lot of you and you're really disappointing me. And then Kirk just like stands up and delivers the unforgiven solo. I remember that scene. He, he goes, uh, let's see what the guitar magazine's guitar player of the year can do. Okay, <laughs> That's right. Buddy. Yeah. 
it's an awesome guitar solo because what that does, it starts off in a classical, almost monk like guitar fashion from the 1500s. And then they bring it to thrash metal in an instant. And again, going back to the very beginning, the top of the show, the theme of Metallica is really kind of operatic music. Their music reminds me of 1680s Baroque music. Obviously, as an edge to it, even the the pedals that they're using are trying to make it sound like monk chant cave ambiance. So wherever I may roam, this is probably my favorite lyric from Metallica. And the road becomes my bride. I have stripped of all but pride. So in her, I do confide. And she keeps me satisfied, gives me all I need. And with dust and throat, I crave. Only knowledge will I save. To the game, you stay a slave. Rover, wanderer, nomad, vagabond, call me what you will. And I'll take my time anywhere, free to speak my mind anywhere. And I'll redefine anywhere, anywhere I roam, where I lay my head is home. So the thing I love about wherever I may roam, and I knew this when I was in fifth grade listening to this, is that it was a departure. All of their other songs are essentially, woe is me, death is all around me. Wherever I May Roam was an empowering song. Right. It's more about Don't Tread on Me, which was another song on the Black Album. Wherever I May Roam stands out to me as a song that I wish Metallica had more songs like it, and they don't. Take a look at the chords. <laughs> the verse is E minor, B flat, A, B flat, E minor, B flat, G, B flat. And then the riff is A, B flat, B, C, E. So you've got all those one fret moves and you got the six fret moves over and over and over throughout wherever I may roam. The chorus is F, E, B flat, A. What other popular song that's ever charted on the top 100 uses chords for a chorus like F, E, B flat, A? Uh, I'll get back. I'll get back to you on that. <laughs> right. Zero. That's how many. So Metallica are the kings of ones and six jumps. The only other bands out there who use them will use them very infrequently. But Metallica realized, hey, it sounds evil when we use a six jump. And it sounds even more evil when we use a one jump after a six jump. So they use them all over the place. Okay. Sad but true. 1992. This actually managed to sneak into the top 100, number 98. And it's one of the only songs that's in the key of D, but it's only because they use drop D tuning to get the power chords, famously used by uh, Soundgarden, so that you can play a power chord without even having to use two fingers. You can just use one finger to play the power chord. But still, it's it, it's still them playing. Metallica loved playing on that open E string. So every single song is an E, but it's always in the key of G because the E is always an E minor, uh, just for the record. Okay, Mm -hmm. so sad but true, the whole verse is on E. And then the chorus goes E minor, F, A, G. So you get some of those one jumps, but nothing like wherever I may roam, where it's one, six, one, six, all over the place. And I'm going to stop there with analyzing the song architecture and the, the chord sequencing from Metallica. If we go back to the very first episode of, of this show, I said that I believe music cycled three times. So you had the explosion of rock and roll, 1955. You had the British invasion, which was, say, 64 to 68-ish, and then that kind of died. The third last big movement in rock history is this period, 1991, 1992, when you get the explosion of alternative rock. I'd say that hard rock Metallica sneaks in there as well. 
It was the last great renaissance. It ended in about 1996, 97, if you're getting you know, a wide margin of error. But largely, I'd say it ended around 1996. Metallica was responsible for bringing a very difficult genre, music genre of heavy metal, music that wasn't trying to be crossover. And yet they still pulled it off without losing too much of the original atmosphere of the music. They pulled it off here in 1991. And even though they were very similar to a, a Guns N' Roses, I'd say that Guns N' Roses did not come from a heavy metal background. They had heavy metal sensibilities, but Guns N' Roses really did come from a pop music background. They were more inspired by Beatles than anything else. I'd say that Metallica was more inspired by Led Zeppelin. Led Zeppelin was inspired by Rolling Stones. So like mm. the whole music tree always goes back to like the Beatles and Rolling Stones. That's like Adam and Eve. You could probably say that they all come from Elvis. He's the god of rock. So what are your th- thoughts on Metallica? I appreciate them. I, I appreciate what they did. They, they didn't do the whole uh, hair metal you know, Striper and Leotard and Def Leppard. <laughs> Spoiler alert, Def Leppard is the next episode. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, so that's why it's a little bit disappointing that, that I, I lost track of their career. I, I just only because it's on, it's to me, the impetus is on the artist to keep me engaged in the sense of um, I need to hear a song come out that brings me back. And that hasn't happened in 25 years. So, I don't yeah. Know. Well, you know, when I think about someone like Eric Clapton, who I think was able to stay relevant for 40 years, he changed his sound. Now, granted, he didn't have to change it that much because he was easy listening from the word go. So when he got to his 40s and 50s, he could stay easy listening. He also didn't have to write the songs. Most Eric Clapton songs you probably know. Cocaine and all that stuff was oh, J.J. Right. J. J. Kale. J. J. Kale and um, I Shot the Sheriff. Was He didn't even play guitar solos in the late 70s. Like He, he just gave up on the guitar. <laughs> he completely gave up. He didn't bring the guitar back until maybe Journeyman, late 80s. I mean, he wrote Wonderful Tonight and he wrote Layla. So he wrote... Okay. Great songs. Don't get me wrong. Bell Bottom Blues. Tell me Bell Bottom Blues. <laughs> yeah, he wrote Bell Bottom Blues. Uh, but but the song, uh, the reason I was saying that um, he was able to coast a little bit is because he was kind of could rest on other people's songwriting mm. and still had a fan base just because his name was Eric Clapton. You know, it, you know it's funny because it's right that we should be talking about Eric Clapton because I think Eric Clapton invented heavy metal. Lots of people talk about what song invented heavy metal. And oh, Cream. You're going to yeah, say Cream. Cream yeah. invented heavy metal. And of course, I think the Beatles really opened up the audience to heavy metal with While My Guitar Gently Weeps, which Eric Clapton plays the guitar solo on. Because While My Guitar Gently Weeps, even though it's still a Beatles song, it's a heavy, heavy song, the way that they produced it. Yeah. With, with uh, not just with the guitar, but with the, the way bass. that, Paul, yeah, Paul McCartney's bass. It sounds like a Metallica song, honestly. But the point is, is that Eric Clapton was probably the inventor, if not Jimmy Page with Led Zeppelin, but that's 1969. So Cream is 1967. Yeah, but you also had Hendrix that same year. And I, you sure. can't, it's hard to tell what, how much of Clapton's Cream project uh, was based on what watching, you know, Hendrix for the first time. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, I, I would agree with that. And then you probably get Black Sabbath because of Cream, I would imagine. Yeah, I'd say so. Well, I mean, by the t- by the time you hit 
1970 and whether it's Black Sabbath or Ozzy Osbourne, at that point, the gates are wide open to all types of influence. It's surprising that it took something like Metallica 11 years to come up because they were quite a bit heavier. It could have been a technology play, like maybe they didn't have the kinds of distortion available or the, the types of power uh, and the, the pedals and the fuzz and whatever else came along with Metallica. So maybe that's why it took 11 years. But you'd think that something like Metallica would exist in 1970. Like or I'm talking about speed metal. Mm-hmm. But you don't really get speed metal until about 1980. You know what you need first? What? I think you need Eddie Van Halen. Ah, uh, maybe he's kind of the first, one of the first virtuosos. Yeah, because I can't think of anyone mainstream who was a guitar virtuoso before Eddie Van Halen, except for except for Hendrix. Well, I wouldn't call him a virtuoso. He, he was a good guitar player, but he wasn't like Steve Vai and you know doing. Oh, like a thousand notes. Yeah, that's Uh, true. That's true. Our next episode is going to be Blur. So I'm Mm. curious to see if they're also using the ones in the six jumps, but they're going to be heavily mechanized. So already off the bat, I'm saying Blur's music is geared towards being architecture first, content second. So I expect to see one bars, four bars, six bars, eight bars, whatever. I they're going to be using every trick in the book, and as far as chord sequences, every trick in the book. Is um, is Noel Gallagher crying somewhere that you chose Blur before Oasis? We already did Oasis. Oh, we did <laughs> cigarettes and alcohol. That's right. Okay, I'm forgetting. My bad. <laughs> Sorry, Noel. <laughs> All right. Well, till the next episode, and uh, leave us a review, comment, tell us how much you hate the show. We'll be sure to call you out on the next episode.